You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Good morning. So good to be back. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, it was a great vacation. I feel rested. I feel good. And uh, I get to talk to you guys about violence in the Bible today. It's going to be great. Everybody ready? How many people know about violence in the Bible? How many people are aware that it's in there? That especially in the Old Testament, there's some really barbaric and brutal and uh, kind of messed up stuff. You guys are aware of that? How many of you, and it's okay, safe place, safe spot. How many of you have issues with this? How many of you struggle with this violence in Scripture? How many of you do this? Okay, good. That's all right. How many of you sort of didn't even know that there was like a whole lot of violence in the Bible and you don't really care that much? It's okay. It's all right. No, everybody's afraid to raise their hand. Anyway, yeah, so there is. There's some really troublesome things that are going on in Scripture, especially in our Old Testament. There is a lot of brutal and primitive force being used. There are people that said because of the hand of God, children were uh, able to be killed. Uh, And I have struggled with this. I have absolutely struggled with this violence before. In fact, uh, uh, I was talking with some friends of mine uh, about six months ago, and, and they left church. And I said, why did you leave? And, and my friend said, I cannot reconcile a violent God in Scripture. If God's supposed to be loving, then why are there passages that say to dash babies' heads against the rocks and things of this nature? I can't worship that God. And it's troubling, right? I said, yeah, you're right. I can't worship that God either. I struggle with that. And so uh, as I've gone on my own journey with dealing with this, this violence that is in Scripture, uh, what I have come to realize and what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that I believe that many of these violent, brutal, primitive passages that we read in Scripture actually point us to a loving God. I believe this. As somebody who has, has worked on this, prayed through this, looked at this, I believe that, that some of these violent, brutal, primitive passages that we read in Scripture can actually point us to a loving God. And so I'm going to try to explain that to you today, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. There's a couple of things I want to set up, a couple of rules that we need to put in place first. Number one, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, this is the beginning of a conversation, okay? This is not the end of a conversation. So I want you to go back. I want you to go to your small groups and talk with them. I want you to talk to your friends about this. I want you to read through this. I want you to pray through it. Go to Hank's across the way and open up your Bible there and have a PBR and read through it, okay? That's number one. Number two, you have to understand that I believe, and this church believes, that this uh, Bible, the Bible that we have in our iPhones, the Bible that we have in our hands, this is the divinely inspired Word of God. I absolutely believe that. What do I mean by that? I mean that um, this is a book where people have written throughout the ages in the ways that God relates to them, and I believe that God has shown us through these stories and through these poems and through these accounts that, uh, that God relates to us in certain ways, that there is a God who loves us and that, and that this has been inspired by God, that the Spirit is on this thing, this Bible, okay? What I don't believe Scripture is, is I don't believe that God dictated a bunch of rules and then wrote them down in the Bible and now we follow those rules. I don't believe that's what it is, okay? Thirdly, what we have to understand, we have to understand that People who wrote the Bible, and I've said this a bunch, didn't know they were writing the Bible. Okay? They did not know they were writing the Bible at the time. Uh, so what we have to understand is we have to understand that people are, are, are relating to God through their own lens. They're relating to God through their own worldview. They are relating to God through their own consciousness. Okay? 
the consciousness, the worldview, the lens that we're going to talk about today is the tribal worldview. Anybody ever hear of the tribal world, uh, worldview before? A few people. It's, it's pretty crazy. So in the tribal worldview, uh, worldview, there are two things that you care about. You care about food so you don't go hungry, and you care about war. You war with other tribes. You try to take their land. So you are going to sacrifice. You're going to pray to a god um, that that god would grow your crops and that that God would make sure you didn't starve. And then you are going to sacrifice and you are going to pray to your God to make sure that you win whatever war you're fighting against the next tribe, to make sure that all the people in the other tribe are killed and make sure that they're all dead uh, and your God uh, would want this to happen because your God wants you to have more land. That is a tribal consciousness. That is a tribal lens. That's a tribal worldview. Now, I know there's some of you going, hey, wait a second, um, why are, you know, you know, how does this work? You know, why are they looking at it through a, a worldview or a lens or a consciousness? The truth of the matter is we all view God through our own lens, through our own consciousness. How many people have ever said, um, thank God that I got a job? How many of you have said that? Just be honest. Come on. Yeah, I have too. Thank God. How many people have said, this child is a blessing from God? How many people have said that? A couple people. Now, how many of you have said, God bless America? We are seeing God through our own lens. We are seeing God through our own consciousness, okay? No matter who we are, we're human beings, and as human beings, we're going to do that. We're going to see God this way, okay? So we are looking at a tribal consciousness, which takes us, which takes us back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. I want you guys to pull out your iPhone apps. I want you to pull out your Bibles right now. I want you to go to Genesis 22. We're going to be through uh, verses 1 through 19, okay? Um, And we're going to talk about Abraham uh, being asked to kill his son Isaac. Uh, If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this story before. How many people are familiar with this story? Good, okay. Uh, So God says, Abraham, I want you to kill your son Isaac. Why is this crazy or wrong or messed up or whatever? Um, uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah were incredibly old. In fact, probably around 99, 100 years old when God said to them, you are going to have a child, and that child you're going to build a mighty nation through. And so, you know, Abraham and Sarah literally laugh at God because they're that old, and then they end up having Isaac. It's a miracle, okay? And so then God says, Abraham, I want you to kill your only son, Isaac. Now, when I read this passage, and when I read this passage before, I I think I was at a place where, um, you know, my my teachers and the people that I did Bible study with growing up would say, "Well, well, God was testing Abraham to make sure he was faithful. And I accepted that. Oh, God tests us to make sure we're faithful. And I believed that. And then as I got older, I, th- I was like, why would God ask someone to kill their child? As a parent, I have two daughters. Why would God ask somebody? To, I, if God asked me to kill my two daughters, pff, we'd have issues, major issues. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And, and, and so what I did is I went back and I did a little bit of research and I prayed through this and I looked at some other things. And here's what I found out. I found out that in ancient Near East culture, okay, so this is the culture that Israel would have been a part of, it was relatively common to sacrifice your child. It was relatively common to sacrifice children. So there is archaeological evidence that a group called the Ammonites were sacrificing their children. The Ammonites would be the neighboring uh, country to Israel. There is a lot of archaeological evidence that people were sacrificing their children to a god named Molech, who was a competing god. So we have our Hebrew god, and then we have this god Molech. Uh, And so in this ancient Near East culture, people were sacrificing their children. They were sacrificing their children to make sure that crops were good, sacrificing their children to make sure that wars were won. Okay, now I know this seems barbaric, right? This seems terrible. But remember, we're looking at this from a different consciousness, from a different worldview. So what happens? So God says, Abraham, sacrifice your son. This would not be uncommon. 
This would be something that Abraham would be asked to do to secure a war or a victory or good crops. And this is what happens. I want you to read with me Genesis 22, 9 through 12. It says, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar, arranged wood on it, found his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your only son. Okay, we find out that, that God says Abraham sacrificed this ram instead. Now let's put ourselves in this tribal worldview. Can we put ourselves there? Can we go to that place? Can we take our time machines? Okay, let's go to that place. All right, now in your tribal worldview, it's common to sacrifice children. And all of a sudden, your God tells you, do not sacrifice this child, sacrifice this ram instead, what would you be asking? What questions would you be asking yourself? Wait a second. God, if, I don't, if we don't sacrifice our children, are, are we going to have good crops? Are, will there be a famine? Are you sure about this? Like We've sacrificed our children, and, and good things have happened because of it. Really? Can you imagine what, what uh, other countries would think? What would other countries think? Other countries like, like the Ammonites who are right there next door would go, they're not sacrificing their kids anymore. Their God's not going to bless them. Maybe we should attack. They're weak now. They're weak. They're gonna, their God's not going to bless them because they're not sacrificing children anymore. Can you see that this might cause a bit of a cultural problem for the Israelites? In fact, it causes such a big problem for the Israelites that they continue to sacrifice their children. In fact, in Leviticus uh, chapter 18, it says this, God has to tell them again, don't do this. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. They were so freaked out that God had, stopped, had commanded them to stop sacrificing children, they started sacrificing their children to another God. That's because this is the tribal culture. So I, the question that I have to ask, the question that I have for us today is, is it possible? Is it possible? I'm going to ask three questions, and I think they're important. I'm going to read them. Is it possible that God exists, that the Bible exists along a timeline of human growth and consciousness? Is that possible? Is it possible that God is working towards a perfect and loving peace and God is simply doing it one step at a time? Is it possible that God is working within our consciousness, okay? Working within our worldview, working within our lens to bring the perfect peace and the perfect love and the perfect grace that God intended from the beginning. And God is taking one small step at a time to do it. Is that possible? Is it possible that God is saying, hey, I love my people and I'm working within this worldview and so working with this in, in this worldview, I don't need you to kill your child so that I can have joy. I have joy in my children. Is it possible? Let's move on. Let's go to the next piece of scripture that has often given me trouble. It's called the Spoils of War passage, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. Um, you guys can open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 21. I'm going to look at 10 through 14, and this is what it says. It says, when you go to war against your enemies... And the Lord your God delivers them into your hands, and, take, and you take captives. If you notice among the captives a beautiful woman, and you're attracted to her, you can take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her shave her head, trim her nails, put aside the clothes she was wearing when she was captured. And after she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month, then you may go to her and be her husband. She'll be your wife. And if you're not pleased with her, 
Let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. Thus says the Lord. This is messed up. Messed up. Some of you are like, huh? No, it's really messed up. The fact that women at any time in in history have been treated this way is, is really wrong. It's pretty disgraceful. What do we do with a passage like this? This is in our Bible. What do we do with it? Again, let's think about the fact that God is using this scripture and that the people are writing it are, are writing it in, in a consciousness that they understand. So we need to move a step further from the tribal age, and we need to move into the Iron Age of Scripture. How many people have heard of the Iron Age? A few of us. Okay. Just as violent. It's just as violent. I have used this example before. I'm going to use it again. At the beginning of 300, that movie 300, and they're training their children with the swords and everything else, that's the Iron Age, okay? If, if you've seen that, that's what you're, you know. Everybody was trained to be a soldier in the Iron Age, Okay. So in the Iron Age, you had a God who told you to go out and make sure you take new land and you slaughter everybody. You don't keep anybody alive. If you keep anybody alive, what would happen was that that, that group had a chance of, of, of getting, you know, uh, reproducing and regrouping and getting back together and coming back stronger than before. And because they came back stronger than before, they might come and take you. So you killed everybody. That meant you killed women, you killed children, you killed livestock, you burned the place to the ground. That is what you did in the Iron Age. All right? If you saw a woman and you were a soldier, that woman was not human. She was subhuman. She was an enemy. She was property. And oftentimes, in fact, more times than not, women would be raped and then killed. That's what would happen in the Iron Age. You would, you would see a woman, you would rape a woman, you would kill a woman. She was property. She was subhuman. She was an enemy. God obviously didn't bless that woman. Okay? Now, let's take a look at what God is commanding. God is commanding, if you are out to war and you see a woman and she is beautiful, take her home and make her your wife. Wait, hold on, hold on. I thought I was supposed to rape and kill that woman because that woman is just property. That woman is subhuman. That woman doesn't matter. And God says, no, 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 no. That woman is my child. You're not going to kill that woman. You're going to take that woman home. She's a human being. But wait, wait, I have, to, I have to clothe her. I have to feed her. I have to do all this stuff. Yeah. She's a human being. God is moving us towards humanity. When you take her home, have her shave her head and trim her nails and put her clothes aside. That is uh, the Hebrew way of mourning. That's how you mourn in the Hebrew culture. See, if you are going to be a, a rape and kill a woman, then you're not giving a woman the basic human right to mourn what is going on. There's no time to mourn. This woman is subhuman. She's going to die. And what God says is, no, she is a human being with the right to mourn. You allow her to go through the morning rituals and you give her 30 days to do that while you're treating her as a human and clothing her and feeding her and doing the rest. This part's still a little weird to me, but it says when you decide to marry her and marry in those times where you're just having sex, okay? So when you go and have sex with her, if you don't like the sex, you can let her go. Kind of messed up. Um, But everybody's sort of like, you guys don't know what to do with this today. (laughs) So um, you can let her go. And so uh, there's two ways. So usually what would happen is if you let somebody go, if, if you divorced your wife, what would happen is your wife would become a prostitute. She'd be sold into slavery, and she had no chance of getting married again. And what uh, God is saying here, the Hebrew roughly translates into saying, give her a certificate and have the certificate basically uh, allow her a second chance. So allow her to go back to whoever is still alive, whatever family member is still left. Uh, allow her a chance at getting married again, which is better than being brought into slavery. 
So what we have is we have a group of people who have been told forever and ever that if you are going to sack a village, you will sack this village. A woman is subhuman, not human, an enemy. You can rape and kill her. Just make sure she dies. And God comes along and says, no, when you sack a village, you will take this woman. You will feed and clothe this woman. You will allow this woman to mourn. And if you do not want this woman to live with you any longer, you give her a certificate that gives her a second chance. She is not subhuman. She is a human. Is it possible? Is it possible that God is working in our human consciousness one step at a time, little by little, to bring God's perfect peace and perfect grace and perfect love? And is it possible that in this very barbaric, brutal, primitive place, God is saying, this woman is my child and I'm working within your worldview so that you can see it? Is it possible? Can you imagine what people would think? Oh my goodness, you're tell- I, I, I can't afford to keep this woman. This is ridiculous. It's, I, I, she's, not, she's an enemy. Can you imagine what, what the other nations are thinking? They're not killing off everybody. That tribe's going to grow and come back and, and get them. Let's attack them. They're weak now. Can you imagine what people in Israel were thinking? God, this is, this is more than we can bear. To take care of more than our own, that doesn't happen. And yet God is saying, I am moving you one step in your consciousness, little by little, away from violence, away from brutalness, towards peace. Now, <clears throat> a lot of you have questions, and I have questions too. Like I said, this is the beginning. And a lot of you are probably thinking, like, if God is God, and God is big, and God is infinite, then why wouldn't, why wouldn't God uh, uh, simply just make things perfect? Why wouldn't God bring peace? Why wouldn't God uh, you know, simply uh, make things right? Why would God uh, do this step by step, little by little? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say, let's say that uh, you came to me today and, and you, were, uh, you came in and you went, Jonathan, today I started running and uh, I bought some new running shoes and I ran to church today. I ran a mile and uh, I feel great. I feel great. New shoes. I've never run before. I'm, I'm pretty tired though. And I said to you, that's amazing. And I said, hey, uh, there's a marathon tomorrow and I'm going to sign you up for it. What would you do? You'd be like, no, 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 Jonathan, you didn't hear me. I just started running today for the first time. I, I just got the new shoes today. Uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, great, great. There's a marathon tomorrow and I'm, I'm signing you up. You would be like, Jonathan, you're an idiot. Like, I'm going to throw up at mile 11. Like, you, you can't do that to me. Right? Because it takes time. It takes time in our humanity to actually move and grow and train and, 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 and get better. Right? What if, um, who likes chemistry here? Anybody like chemistry? Jen, Daryl, you like it too? Nice. What if, yeah, what if you guys come to me and you're like, um, you're like hey, I'm studying chemistry. And I'm like, that's, am- that's great. Hey, listen, I work for a big pharma company and I got this drug I got to present tomorrow for like diphtheria or something. And I need you to get all the chemical components together so I can present the drug tomorrow. Can you do that for me? And Jen or Dale, you were like, but I don't even know the periodic tables yet. And I'd be like, no, no, it doesn't matter. You said you like chemistry. So go ahead and, and, and make sure that I, I, I can do this tomorrow. You'd be like, Jonathan, you're an idiot, right? Lots of idiot name calling right now. Uh, that's what you would do. Because what happens is with our humanity, we are not asked to do the impossible, right? That would be impossible for us. It'd be impossible for us to run the marathon. It'd be impossible for us to put together all the chemical components needed for a drug the day after we start learning chemistry. Is it possible then that our God is so big and so infinite and so loving that our God goes, this violence, this brutality, this is not me. This is not me. 
but I love you so much that I know right now that I can't ask you to do the impossible. It will literally make you grow crazy. But I love you so much that what I'm going to ask you to do is just take one step. Just take one step out of that violence, one step out of that brutality, one step out of that primitive behavior towards, towards the perfect peace, the perfect shalom that I command. Is that possible? And if so, if so then how does God show us? God shows us through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, um, he, was, he, was, uh, he lived in Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. They say nothing good has ever come out of Nazareth. He lived in Nazareth. So uh, right next door to Nazareth, about three miles away, is a town called Sepphoris. And in Sepphoris, um, uh, there was a big uprising against the Roman Empire. And this happened right around the time Jesus was a toddler, most people think. Okay? And there was this big uprising against the Roman Empire. And in Sepphoris, 30,000 people were killed. And not only were 30,000 people killed, but this general named Varus decided to hang 2,000 of those people on crosses that led from Sepphoris all the way to Nazareth to show the people of Nazareth what will happen if they try to revolt too. And so because they were only three miles away, there's a good chance that when Jesus was growing up that there were friends and family members and, and different people in Nazareth who, who had people in Sepphoris who died. And there's a good chance that, that Jesus heard stories of them mourning those people who died in Sepphoris. And there's a good chance that, that Jesus heard about revenge against this general Varus who killed all these friends and family members in Sepphoris. And there's a good chance that Jesus and, and all his family and people in Nazareth would gather together in the synagogue and they would wait for this revenge. They would, they would read this verse, and I'm going to read it for you. They would read together. They'd say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. And Jesus would be there at the synagogue and everybody would say, yes, we're poor, we're broken, we're hurt. And they would say, it sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And they'd say, yes, we're brokenhearted. People have been killed. We're under the oppression of this empire to proclaim freedom for the captives. We are captive under this empire. We can't wait for this Messiah to come and bring us revenge and release from the darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Can you imagine sitting in the synagogue reading that, going, one day we're going to have our revenge. One day, all that stuff they did to us in Sepphoris, oh, we're going to get them. God tells us. It's in our Bible. The Messiah is going to come and bring revenge. You know what Jesus does? First sermon he ever gives. Luke 4, you guys can look it up. He goes back to his hometown synagogue, goes back there, walks with all the people who, you know, babysat him and, you know, all his aunts and uncles and everybody else and, you know, the girl he dated. That's not true. Anyway, <laughs> um, he goes back in to where all these family and friends are, all the family and friends who have been hurt. Uh, and he, he takes a scroll and he, he rolls it, rolls it down. And this is what he does. He reads this. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops. Then he stops and he starts rolling up the scroll. And you got to imagine people in the synagogue are like, but the last line, the last line, and the vengeance of our God, say it. Say the end of vengeance of our God and say it. And Jesus is rolling up the scroll. He doesn't say it. And everybody's going, wait, but the last line, Jesus, you're missing. There's something missing. And he rolls up the scroll. And you know what Jesus says instead? He says, today, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's what he says. 
But what? The Roman Empire, but with vengeance, vengeance. And he says, nope, it's been fulfilled in your hearing. And they say, what are you talking about? And he goes on to explain it to him. And you know what his friends and his family and his ex-girlfriend on the babysitter all want to do to him? They literally want to throw him off a cliff. How dare you say that that's not going to happen? How dare you say our God doesn't want revenge? And Jesus says, no, I come. I come to show you what my God looks like. I come to show you that God is moving us one step at a time towards perfect love and perfect peace and perfect grace. That's what I am here to show you. And so if this is all true, then we're a part of this. If this is all true, then for us, then we are a part of this movement. And so there's Jesus asking us to move a step too. There's Jesus asking us to move a step outside of our selfishness or outside of our own thoughts. And maybe there's a Jesus asking us to take those steps towards that perfect peace and perfect grace and perfect humanity. And so what is Jesus asking you to do? What's Jesus asking me to do? What's Jesus asking our church to do? Maybe Jesus is saying, you need to stand up for systematic inequality. This is the beginning. Right? Take this step. Take this step away from, from, from this pain and this violence and move this direction. Maybe God is saying, or Jesus is saying to you, hey, uh, uh, you know, there is someone in your life that you have not made amends with. And instead of burning bridges, it's time for you to bring peace by making amends. Maybe that's the step you take. Maybe the step you take today is the one that says, you know what, I have to uh, meet someone and I, I really need to think of this person not as somebody who makes less money or more money or somebody who looks this way or that way, but somebody who can become my brother, my friend, my sister. Maybe it's time for you to start thinking of people that way. Maybe that's the step we take. Maybe today the simple step is to simply say yes to Jesus. Yes to the hope that comes when Jesus says, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I'm moving you one step at a time towards perfect peace and perfect love, perfect grace. This, you know, listen, this is the beginning. And violence in scripture is an incredibly troubling thing. Incredibly troubling. But I believe with my heart that we do not have a violent God. I believe with all my heart that we have a God who loves us so incredibly much that this God says, I see what you're doing and what you're doing is messed up, but I love you so much knowing that I can't make you do the impossible, so I'm just gonna ask you to take some steps. I'm just gonna ask you to bring some peace. I'm just gonna ask you to move little by little, step by step towards shalom. Let's pray, you guys. God, um, you are big and you are infinite and you're filled with wonder and it's really, really difficult to, to know who exactly you are. But God, I believe that you love us deeply. I believe that you love us dearly. And so God, I want us to say yes to you. God, I pray that we would say yes to um, you through Jesus Christ. Say yes to the hope that comes from hearing that scripture has been fulfilled and scripture is peace. And we would say yes to, uh, to not talking about our selfish ways and selfish desires, but the selflessness that brings your shalom. And Lord, we thank you so much for the mercy and grace we get when we don't quite get it right. We thank you for all this in your name.